in progress. Of Federated City Employees Retirement System and Healthcare Trust. Um, Vice Chair Jennings, are you here? Here. Trustee Abbott? Here. Trustee Avasti is absent. Trustee Chandra? Here. Trustee Faulkner? Here. And Trustee Linder? Here. And we have quorum. Thank you. Um, May I qualify the two that are? Yes, up? please. Okay, so let me start with Trustee Jennings. Um, Trustee Jennings, can you please provide the address from where you're teleconferencing from? Sure. 855 East Hilton Drive, Boulder Creek, California. Nine five. Oh, go ahead. Sorry. Nine five zero zero six. If you want that. And location from where you're teleconferencing from, eighty eight accessible and open to the public. Yes. And if a member wants to be heard at your location by the board, can can they be heard? Yes. And have you posted the agenda uh, at your location where it can be publicly seen? Yes. Okay, so she's qualified under the traditional Brown Act teleconferencing rule. Uh, Mr. Faulkner or Trustee Faulkner, are you teleconferencing from the address of 1000 Avenida de Conquistador Las Casitas? Fajardo, Puerto Rico? Yes, that is correct. Okay. And it's a location from your tele where you're teleconferencing from, ADA accessible and open to the public? Yes. And if a member wants to be heard from your location, can they be heard by the board? Yes. And have you posted the agenda at your location where it can be publicly seen? Yes, I have. Okay, thank you. He's also qualified under the traditional Brown Act. Teleconferencing yeah. rules, all votes must be roll call votes. Okay, thank you, uh, Council Chin. Um, and as you mentioned, all vote, votes will be uh, roll call votes as this is a hybrid meeting. Um, under orders of the day, I have a note that the Joint Governance Committee meeting is scheduled now for Monday, November 27th at 10 a.m. And uh, with that, I will take a motion to accept the orders of the day. So moved. And we have a motion from Trustee Linder. Second. Second from Trustee Abbott. Any discussion? Uh, we'll have a roll call vote. Uh, Vice Chair Jennings. Aye. Trustee Abbott. Aye. Trustee Chandra? Aye. Trustee Faulkner? Aye. Trustee Linder? Aye. And I vote aye as well. Uh, we do have to waive sunshine on a couple of items. One is consent calendar item 1.6E, a contract entered into by the CEO for risk strategy company client agreements. Uh, new business item 5I, discussion actions on the standing committee assignments. And Joint Personnel Committee Item 6.5D, Discussion and Action on Recommended Changes to the JPC Charter. Uh, do I have a motion to waive sunshine on all three items? So moved. Uh, moved by uh, Trustee Linder, a second? Second. Second from Trustee Chandra. Any discussion? We will vote. Uh, Vice Chair Jennings? Aye. Trustee Abbott? Aye. Trustee Chandra? Aye. Trustee Faulkner? Aye. And Trustee Linder. Aye. And I vote aye as well. Sunshine is uh, waived. Um, at this time, I will take a public comment on any item that uh, the public wishes to comment on that is uh, a subject for this board that is not otherwise agendized. 
speakers will be limited to three minutes. Is there anyone here wishing to speak or anybody online wishing to speak? Okay. If not, then we will move to the next agenda item, which is closed session. And uh, what do we have closed session beside one here? Yes. So uh, you'll be able to transfer our, our Zoom participants. Okay. Recording stopped.
Session. Recording in progress. Um, do we need a vote, a motion vote on the consent calendar? Yes. Yes. I have a question about um, something on the consent calendar. Uh, okay, well, we, we can pull something from the consent calendar if, if that's. Yeah, I wanted, I want, I had a couple of questions about the budget. Okay. Which is item um, 1.6B. Right. Go ahead. Okay. So my question about the budget, um, two things, is there were um, several expenses that were flagged as having been um, not uh, as as under they hadn't received the invoices, so we had favorable variances because of that. And my question is whether it's standard practice to not accrue expenses, because in my experience, we would accrue the expenses um, if we knew that there were um, invoices outstanding. Yeah, at the end of every quarter. So I'm just curious yeah. what the, the city um, policy is. I can address that um, as a trustee, if you don't mind. I mean, otherwise, sure. um, um, is that okay? Uh, yeah, please go ahead, uh, Vice Chair Jennings. Uh, the city does not accrue expenses until the end of the year. So the end of the year is June, and okay. what they call it is period 13, and that's when accruals is done. However, if there is a contract, um, a lot of times what will happen is it will be encumbered. That means that you uh, book the whole expenses to the balance sheet, in essence, well, you debit the, 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 the code that's going to go, and then you credit the accounts payable, and then as invoices come through, you release that. Um, so that is normally what happens with agreements, um, and that is how the city processes these. We don't do it quarterly. And I had one other question on the budget. I saw that the LRS annual maintenance fee was... Um, $40,000 over the um, budget. And I'm wondering if this, I don't even know what the LRS annual maintenance fee is. So I'm wondering what it is and if we expect it to have an impact on our budget for the full year. I will hand that off to Roberta. I'll hand it over to Barbara. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Put hot potato then. Yeah. yeah. 
Yes, those um, for Levi Ray and Trust is the um, LRS and that's our pension administration system. Uh -huh. And um, I need to look at the report. You're saying it's $40,000 for Yeah, for the quarter. I think that's what it says. Maybe. Thank you. Yeah. Benji is our accounting manager. My, my, I, I wonder if we just actually paid the maintenance for the full year. That is and that's why it's the total amount. And, and that's what it shows in there. But it's actually through the 12 months. Benji, can you respond to that? That is correct. That is the annual maintenance fee. So um, it is within budget, but we do get the invoice um, in advance. So we, we get it one time per year. And um, in, on a quarterly basis, it does show that it's over. But on an annual basis, it will be um, within budget. Okay, thank you. Those are my questions. Yes. All right. So, uh, any other uh, items from the consent calendar? And if not, do we have a motion to accept the consent calendar? So moved. We have a motion from Trustee Chandra. Is there a second? I'll second. We have a second from Trustee Abbott. Any public discussion? Any public comments? Uh, we will vote. Um, Vice Chair Jennings? Aye. Uh, Trustee Abbott? Aye. Trustee Chandra? Aye. Trustee Faulkner? Aye. Trustee Linder? Aye. And I vote aye as well. We move to agenda item 2.0, death and survivorship. Uh, please join me in a moment of silence for those who have served the city and who have passed. Thank you. Number three, investments. Uh, Mr. Polani, can you share some wisdom with us? <laughs> All right, thank you, Mr. Kevin. We actually have no agenda items for a change this month. Okay, uh, I'm sure we'll make up for it next month. Yes, I could. <laughs> but if you're interested, uh, as of two days ago, the pension plan was up 16 basis points fiscal year today. <laughs> It was we, positive. We, we, we take our wins where you find them. Six positive basis points. Thanks, positive thanks to what happened. Yeah. yeah. Otherwise, it would, would have been negative. Uh, mm -hmm. So we are still, of course, uh, even a zero return means we are six and five eighths behind our discount rate. Yeah. So the markets and the Fed mm -hmm. and fiscal policy has six months time <laughs> to make sure that the market rallies about ten percent so that we can beat, meet our discount rate. Okay. Yeah. I have every confidence that. They will help us out. All right. Any questions? <laughs> it's a bold statement. <laughs> um, any uh, questions from trustees? Any, any public comments? Not. I see we have no old business, so we'll move to new business, item five. And just as a note, we will take a break at about 10 o'clock. Um, but now we are on to item 5A or update from our CEO, Mr. Pena. Thank you. Thank you, Mr. Chair. Um, so a couple of things. We are in the month of November, which means is the month of open enrollment for healthcare for retirees. Uh, all the open enrollment packets were mailed uh, early in the month, and we actually had a very well attended and what I might describe as a successful retiree in-person health fair last November uh, 8th at the Linear Center. We have quite a few retirees uh, and um, you know a lot of different vendors and retirees had a chance to not only talk to the different vendors from 
uh, different areas that included the Anthem and Kaiser, but also our office. And they still have the ability to have virtual online webinars and one-on-one -on -one consultations with our vendors throughout the month <clears throat> before they make a decision. Uh, today, uh, our office has received 330 um, uh, change forms, uh, although the bulk of that, a little more than 50%, are just forms to make sure that they continue the health in lieu of uh, healthcare. Mm -hmm. um, I also wanted to let you know that last October 24th, um, the city auditor presented their interim audit report on the alignment of controls between the city and the Office of Retirement Services. Um, it was a good discussion, and the council actually uh, requested that we go back within 45 days to provide them with that update on the, the progress of our work related to that finding. Right. And um, we are working diligently, not only with Cortex, but also with council to make sure that we can hopefully either be back to report at their December 5th meeting or December 12th. Uh, they said 45 days, December 5th is 42, December 12th is a little more than that. Mm -hmm. So uh, we're hoping that we can go the 12th to allow us a little more uh, flexibility, but we'll keep you posted. Okay. Um, the Retirement Connection uh, newsletter, the fall edition, was distributed early this month. And uh, a couple of more things. The office will be closed uh, during the Thanksgiving holiday on Thursday, November 23rd, and Friday, November 24th. And the updated uh, limit amounts, annual amounts for were issued by the IRS and, and in reference to the 415B limit, which is the one that limits how much we can pay on the retirement benefits. Uh, and it impacts a handful or a number of our retirees. That limit went up to $275,000 a year for 2024. Okay. That concludes my updating picture. Happy to answer any questions. Uh, thank you. Uh, any questions from trustees? Uh, Trustee Linda. Just have one thing. Uh, I was at a regular retiree board meeting, and I was told that the, this was the best uh, event yet that you guys ran out of the manager for uh, yeah. benefits and all the stuff. So congratulations on that. Thanks, Sam. That, that's very good to hear, and I do want to appreciate the comment. I do want to publicly uh, thank the, the staff from the office that put together uh, this in-person. It is a lot of work, um, a lot of work on getting everyone there and putting everything together, getting all the vendors and getting things set up. So again, kudos to staff for an excellent job and for making sure we stay enjoying working with the retirees. So thank you for the comments and we continue working obviously on the other basis of this issue. Thank you. Right. Any other questions from trustees? Any questions or comments from the public? Anybody online raising their hands? No? All right, thank you. Uh, our next agenda item is an oral update from the city council liaison. I believe you said uh, uh, Ms. Davis is not here. Is there a representative from Ms. Davis's office online? No. No? Okay, we'll move to 5C, which is a discussion preliminary pension valuation results uh, presented by Chiron. So, good morning. Good morning. Morning. Yeah. Uh, so, 
I don't know if you can see me, but uh, this is Bill Hallmark. And uh, I apologize for not being there in person today, but uh, I'm recovering from a cold and rather than uh, spread my germs, I thought uh, it would be better to mm -hmm. participate via Zoom. So, um, and, and we do have uh, several Chiron representatives in the room. Uh, for this presentation, uh, joining me is uh, Stephen Hastings and Jackie King. Mm. And I think Jackie's bringing up the presentation. Can you put it in? Yeah. Uh, so go ahead and uh, move to uh, the schedule on slide two. So uh, this meeting, uh, we are presenting the preliminary pension valuation results and the demographic experience study. Uh, I know you just called item 5C. Uh, I think we would like to present 5C and 5D together, if that is acceptable to the chair. Yeah, no, no objection. Okay, and then we will also do the OPEB assumptions review. Uh, so this meeting is heavy on assumptions. It finishes off the assumptions section, and then we'll come back in December with the final pension uh, results, preliminary OPEB results, and then January we do the uh, final OPEB uh, results. Uh, so uh, with that, I will uh, turn it to Jackie to uh, get us started on the preliminary results. Can we use one of the microphones? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. I don't know if we need to speak up, but if anyone can hear us online. If we can hear you, anybody online want to comment? Yeah, we're good. Good. Okay. Good morning, everyone. This bill mentioned we're going to go through the preliminary evaluation results first. Um, so we just want to reiterate that they are preliminary. They're still within the final review process in Chiron. Um, so they may, may differ from what you see um, at the next couple of meetings, um, but we just wanted to give you a sense of what the valuation results are going to look like. These preliminary results are before any assumption changes. So they would be as if there were no assumption changes made. So uh, the first set is just, it's just a, a brief summary of what the results would look like. Uh, the graph on the left shows you your funding ratio. So it's your actual value of assets over your actual liabilities. Um, and you can see it, it remains very close and it increased slightly from the 57% to 58.5%, uh, which is actually very close to what we were projecting from last year, which was 58.7%. Um, remember that uh, those on the, the graph on the left shows the number of total, and the table on the right breaks it down right here. Um, and just uh, just to, to show you that tier one, I'm sorry, tier one is still the much bigger portion of the plan, and that's the underfunded part. But the tier two is uh, is very well funded um, with an, an actual value of assets funding ratio of almost 94%. Uh, okay, so on slide six, we're showing preliminary, on a preliminary basis the contribution rates and the contribution amounts. Uh, and they show um, both 
the prior fiscal year in 2024 and 2025. Uh, on the left side, we're showing the contribution rates, and those are in total going down from 54.6 to 50.6. And you can see the components uh, in, in, in purple is the normal cost, uh, the city both paid by the city and the members in the lighter purple. And in the gold, there's the interest on the unfunded actual liability. And uh, in the lighter gold is the principal paid on the unfunded. And so you can see that the principal uh, amount is actually going up from 827 to 9.9%. But the total city rate is going down. However, on the right, we see the contribution amounts, the, the totals are going up from 216.1 227.3. And the, the story there is that the uh, payroll has come in significantly higher than what expected, right? So that at the, uh, the total amount as a percentage of payroll drops, but the dollar amount increases. So that's, so that's what's going on there. Um, the last year we projected 53.9% for the fiscal year end 2025. And so 50.6 is below that. Um, and in addition, uh, the 219.6 was under projection last year on, on dollar amount uh, that increase. So again, the story there is the payroll has come even higher than it expected. So moving on to slide seven, we're showing the hist uh, history of um, these various buckets for Participants. So, so we have the um, for members. So we have the uh, green is the in pay, gold the deferred. So folks that are have, have, have less active service but are due a benefit at some point in the future. And then there are um, there's blue for active participants, and that uh, starting in 2013 splits into tier one versus tier two. And one one thing I would I would note is for the current year we're we're looking at over 4,000 uh, active participants for the first time since you know, 2009, right? So, so for the first time since the bigger extended relief impacted things. Now, the uh, support ratio, which is the number of inactives per active, that has obviously gone up over the years because, you know, as, as people uh, retire, the um, inactive population has grown, but we would like to note that um, the total amount for actives is more than 4,000 for the first time in years. And you can see that, you know, the, what, two, four, two thirds even uh, of the active population is now here too. So, on this slide is really kind of our transition to the demographic experience study. Um, we're looking at the historical gains and losses on the, the liability side. Uh, and what the sources are. And you can see um, there are a couple key things out of this. One, uh, we since the last experience study in 2019, we've had consistent liability losses. Uh, most of that has been driven by salary increases greater than expected. Uh, but there's also been uh, consistent losses for retirement rates and termination rates. And termination rates also include our uh, refund and reciprocity uh, assumptions. Um, 
So when we do the demographic experience study, you can expect some uh, changes in those areas. But I would also note that um, it, although we've had consistent losses and we don't like to see consistent losses, uh, those losses are very small compared to the overall liability of about $5 billion. So we're looking at something less than 1% uh, a year. So our changes are probably not going to be huge, um, but there, but we are uh, looking at some changes in those areas. Can I ask a question? Yeah. So when you're talking about terminations, you're talking about when you say reciprocity. This is someone who leaves the city, who keeps their money in the system goes to another municipality where we have a reciprocal relationship, right? Correct. Is it calculating at the point that they leave and an estimation of when they would retire and what that increased liability would be? I, I assume that because retirement is a separate item. Right. So what, uh, and we will get into this uh, in the demographic experience study, but the, the reciprocity assumption is exactly what you described. It's how, when someone terminates employment with the city, how many of them go to a reciprocal employer? Uh -huh. And um, that's important because we give them, we base the final benefit based on their final salary at the reciprocal employer. And so we have to build in an increased salary assumption for the people who do that. And also, uh, one thing is that when we do that, um, because we have the 5% non-pensionable, um, when someone leaves to another municipality and then they get paid out, they're getting paid out they know that non five percent non pensionable is no longer part of the equation, so you have to catch up to that amount, right? If they had retired from the city, uh, that obligation would be lower because of that five percent non pensionable. Yeah. So it, if their salary at their new employer is the same as at San Jose, yeah, but um, all of it is pensionable, and mm -hmm. yes, exactly, we have to catch up for that 5%, but they also may have taken uh, a higher level position. Well, yeah. So we have to take catch up for the promotions uh, that they get. So you are calculating, I guess my long story short here is part of that assumption is that catch up of that 5% plus assuming someone's going to leave the city for a higher paying job, right? Why do it? Right. So we have... Um, we have not only an assumption of how many take it, but then what the average salary increase is between the time they leave San Jose and the time they retire. Okay. And now that we have the 6% increase, hopefully it's not as much <laughs> as a jump between the two municipalities because some of that has now been made up because it used to be like 10% that people could get more. Hopefully now it's maybe 4%, you know. 
Yeah, but it's not just the it's not the immediate increase that we have to. I know for. it's over the year. It's, it's all the way out to yeah. They retire. Absolutely. Now they're going to get paid back. Yes. Thank you. I appreciate. Uh, okay. Let's yeah. Let's move to the summary here. So uh, you can see we are tweaking a lot of different assumptions here. I'm not going to go through them on this slide, but. Uh, we're tweaking a lot. Uh, I want to say, in the end, uh, we the increase in the actuarial liability is only about $23 million out of our $5 billion. So we are tweaking a lot. It does have an impact on the, the normal cost and the cost for the active um, members. Um, but overall, it, it's not a dramatic uh, change. Uh, but they're just small tweaks on each individual thing. So we are going to uh, run through uh, these and try and hit the highlights. Uh, stop us if you have questions on an individual assumption, um, but we're hoping to just kind of move through them quickly, give you the highlights, and then get to the final impact. Uh, so with that, I'll turn it to Stephen. Yeah, so on slide 11, we're looking at merit salary scale. So, so these are salary increases in addition to wage inflation, right? So we have a separate wage inflation, something that we've already discussed with the economic assumptions. So here we're talking about uh, promotions, um, you know, things other than the across-the-board increases, right? Steps and promotions. Um, and the experience, uh, as we see on the, on the left, we're looking at the relationship between years of service and the merit injuries. So, so we look at for uh, individual you know, the, the different years of service. We're looking at the increases after we back out, right? The, the across the board increases. And you'll see there's a relationship between time and or the years of service and 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 that's sort of that downward slope, right? So early in a career, there, there are higher. Um, levels of merit increase, promotion, et cetera, and then that sort of tapers off. And in the, the dark blue, we're showing the current assumption, and in the green is proposed assumption, which is moving that up closer to what the actual experience is. So that sort of choppier line is the actual experience. So there's a clear trend there, and uh, clearly we, we want to move closer to what we're seeing as the actual experience. And we don't want to move so, uh, all the way there because we believe some of the recent experience is sort of one-time adjustments. <clears throat> but that's 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 the gist of what's going on So for the majority of the other demographic assumptions, retirement termination, all of that, we have a few different um, metrics that we look at to send the new assumptions here, what currently is we look at and what we want to change it to. So the first is confidence intervals. So in a nutshell, the more data you have, the more credible it is, and the smaller your confidence interval is going to be. So the better, the smaller the confidence interval, the better it is, right? It just means you've got more data. So for instance, if you have one retiree, you know, one person that actually retires, um, and so you have 10 exposures, that means 10 people were eligible to retire, but only one person actually retired. Your actual observed rate is 10% if the people are retiring. 
But in actuality, because you don't have a huge set of exposures, the true rate really falls between zero and 30%. Versus if you had a thousand exposures, that true rate is much smaller and you're really between eight to 12 percent. So that's what we're really looking for. So when we fit in the proposed assumptions, um, we are trying to get within the confidence interval for each bucket that we're looking at for the data. For this experience study, we looked at 10 years worth of data, even though it's been four years since the last experience study. Um, 10 years gives us a much bigger um, data set to look at. Uh, and we did take into some special consideration, you know, that the pandemic fell within there. So there were a couple of, um, of assumptions that we through the certain years, we could tell they were real outliers. And then the last two metrics that we look at is we look at the actual perspective ratio. Um, this is how many people actually, uh, the experience was actually shown versus the assumption expected. And ideally you want to get close to 100%. So if, if you're not, close with um, you generally want to move because of two. And the next is your R squared statistic. And this is really your pattern of the assumptions. So it's not looking at specific numbers as well, but it's what's happening throughout. And again, you want to try and get to 100% for that. So you don't always have to get to it exactly, but you want to move towards it if you're deviating from it. So we'll get into a couple of the extra ones now. Yeah, so on slide 14, we're looking at retirement rates, and there are different assumptions for tier one versus tier two. Um, for tier one, the eligibility is age 55 or five years of service, and then uh, at any age, but 30 years of service, right, as you're carrying out sort of your vision, and, and the maximum benefit occurs at 30 years of service, so so beyond that, right, the, the, the formula is maxed out at, at 75%. Um, and then tier two is slightly different. So the, the eligibility is at age 62 with five years of service and the, um, the, the early retirement benefit is reduced. Uh, and the maximum there is 35 years of service. So on, on the right, we're showing uh, for the two different tiers, some of, some of the results. But I guess first, let me take a step back. We, we did have, um, three buckets for tier one and five buckets for tier two. And by, by buckets uh, is is for um, years of service, right? So we're proposing changing to four buckets for each and aligning those buckets with the exception of uh, out at the very end, right? Yeah. Because there are different um, maximum number of years for, for, for that. So, so in doing this analysis, uh, first, on, on the right side here, tier one, we're looking at um, actual expected ratios of it as the best like your AAE ratio there as, as the actual the stock. And you can see that the current the, the current actual expected ratio, uh, you know, eighty nine percent for the less than fifteen years service bucket, seventy four percent for fifteen twenty four, etc. You can see that our our new proposed assumptions are moving those closer to one hundred percent, right? Your actual expected side of presumption at all. Um, and if the R squared values uh, for the measure of the goodness of the bit, right? So those, those are also moving towards closer to 100%. Um, and and on, on tier two, there, there hasn't been experience, right? This is the first study where we actually have some experience, but it's only the under 15 group. Um, 
and we're proposing some uh, some changes there because the, the assumption is well, well we'll get to that in the next few slides I guess let's, let's go to slow results and, and just to mention that uh, what Stephen just I think these are people retiring following active status right. so we also have an assumption that people terminate what age they're going to retire at and we're not going to change to that particular assumption Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's right. The last one there. Um, no change. Can I ask a question on that first slide? Sure. All right. So this is me just being lame. Um, and so I apologize if I'm not getting it. Um, so if you have four buckets where you're trying to take the population, and so I mean that's how I interpret it. Four buckets. And where are people of the total tier one retiring? How can they all be at like ninety nine percent? I I just don't I don't understand what you're trying to tell us there. Oh okay. Um, so the the different buckets are because there is different behavior based on how many years of service someone has. So somebody who's fifty five with thirty or, or say they're whatever fifty seven with thirty plus years of service is, is going to behave differently than somebody who. 15 years or in theory, right? So we so we look at these buckets to see if there's there's a difference in um, you know how we should set these assumptions. So the, the 99%, that's how well our new assumption is fitting with the data we're seeing in this experience that here. Oh, so, so your current is the <clears throat> what you're seeing? Is the current what you're seeing or what it used to be? Is yeah, that Sorry, a little, a little more clarity. The, the current is the current assumption. Okay. So, so this so is the, how well. So, so the um, the eighty nine percent means that under the current assumption, for every hundred people we expect to retire in that group, uh -huh. only eighty nine did. And the ninety nine percent is for every hundred, ninety nine did. So it's much closer to matching what the the data is showing. So us. the proposed is showing us what you, what the actuals are looking like. Right. It's comparing what the actual retirement was in the data to what we would predict based on our assumption. Okay. And getting something at ninety nine percent is is Rare. A, a very close match. Yeah. Yeah, so we'll, we'll see on the next few slides where we, you know, when you set an assumption, you, you want it to result in something that's closer to what you're seeing than, than what you previously had. Um, so uh, on the left side, it's, it's tier one retirement rates for over five to 15 years of service. Uh, you can see that there, there are confidence intervals there. So, so where there's less data, those confidence intervals get wider. But the gist of it is that the proposed assumption is, is running a bit uh, in, in certain areas, running under, right, or at the lower end of um, those confidence intervals, whereas the, 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 new assumption, the new assumption is a little better. Um, so we're trying to set assumptions, and you know, this, this is an art as well as a science, but we're trying to set assumptions so that the R squared is sort of a measure of the fit. Gets closer to 100%, and the actual expected is closer to 100%. And so that's that's what we've done here. And on, on the right, you can see a similar um, the, the proposed.
proposed assumption for the 15 to 24 years of service bucket uh, are, are being generated at lower. And if we move to the next slide, uh, tier two rates. Um, okay, so yeah, oh, did we skip that? Yeah, yeah. I mean, this, this is more the same, but but it's the, it's the other two buckets, right? For tier one, 25 to 29. Uh, you can see the confidence intervals on uh, you know, the higher ages start, start to get pretty wide because there's not a lot of uh, actual experience there. In fact, for the 30, 35 year, you know, 30 plus bucket, uh, 30 plus years of service, uh, those are all pretty wide. But, but when you do um, the green proposed line, Matt. Matches better in terms of the actual expected and, and the R squared. Um, so those those are those are a, a visualization of, of the. What's the period of time that you're you know looking at? Is it just that year, or is it over a period? Of time? Ten years worth of experience. It's ten years. Yes. So really, it's that wide in the thirty to thirty-five years of service. There aren't that many people that actually. Yeah, Seems strange to me. What well, that you don't have a lot of people is just that in the context, yes, in realistic numbers, it's not as you don't have as many people in that bucket as we would in the earlier buckets. Hmm. I guess another way to interpret it is looking at age, most people are retired by 66. So relatively fewer at 67, 68, 69. So you have fewer data points, yeah, and thereby a wider hmm. uh, confidence interval. Yeah, well, in fact, you can see at 67 and 69, those, those are at zero, zero observed. Now that is, that's with 30 plus years of service. But... Hmm. Okay. So, so, so moving on to tier two, tier two is different in that we, we didn't have experience in the past, right? So in, in those situations, we use professional judgment. And we were setting the tier two retirement assumptions based on uh, CalPERS experience or a similar benefit formula. Um, and now that we actually have some experience coming in, looks like those, it looks like those rates um, were a bit lower than, than we would want to see. Uh, so on, on the right-hand side, you can see the, the uh, four, five, 14 years of service. Uh, what what the actual experience was and our proposed assumption uh, is to you know increase those assumed rates of retirement uh, for the later buckets. So so folks with more years of service where we have no experience, we're basically using professional judgment to say, okay, we want we want this to look like what we see in other plans, right? So so more years of service, it's like a slightly higher rate, um, higher rates of retirement. So those are the other proposed lines we're showing. So moving on to the termination assumption. So there's a couple of um, components to it. The first is how many people actually leave the system um, before they are eligible to retire. So that's what we that's what we talked about when we say the termination rates. Uh, we actually found that your active expected ratio and R squared were close enough to 100 percent for uh, this one. So we're actually not proposing any changes uh, to the termination rates. Now, one of the next components is your refund rates. So when someone terminates, uh, they have the option to take a refund of their contributions, or they can leave it in the system and take a deferred annuity and such like. 
So this um, this assumption is based on who's going to take that refund and um, have no further liability. So for the tier one rates, um, they typically vary by age for uh, three years, uh, three years age groups for the prior um, assumption. We're proposing that you reduce it to two age groups. And uh, we are proposing a 100% uh, refund assumption if they have less than five years of service, so they're not vested. And we're assuming a 0% refund if they have 15 or more years of service. And the reason for that is that the closer you get to retirement, uh, the more valuable that annuity is, so they're less likely to take the contribution when they, uh, when they terminate. So we're, we're proposing some changes, and uh, it will bring the R squared and the actual expected ratio closer. Um, so it doesn't necessarily bring it all the way, but it will bring it closer to 100%. For tier two, um, we're proposing no changes to this, um, this assumption for the refund rate. What we currently value is 100% to the refund, they're not vested, and that they actually take the, they only take the refund if it's more valuable than the annuity. So we have that assumption in their business that they're going to take the more valuable option. So as we get more experience with tier two, we can um, study even more, but right now we're proposing no change for that one. Uh, these graphs just illustrate exactly um, the experience. Um, you know, just even went through the full retirement, so I'm not going to go through them in detail, but just illustrate the experience for just the refund, the refund rates. The next component uh, of termination is, um, and we spoke about this a little earlier, is responsibility. So if you don't take uh, your refund and you leave it in the system, um, What's the probability that you're actually going to earn reciprocity um, with another employer? So the current uh, assumption is that 30% of the people that leave their contributions in the system um, will earn reciprocity, and that they're earning the the assumption was that they would earn 3% annual increases in salary. So we have to use that final projected salary and they benefit enough for the plan. Uh, what we did look at is um, the way we analyze this, instead of looking at actual responsibility plans and evaluation data that we did, because that might include people that had responsibility before they came to the system, uh, we looked at people that actually retired from terminated status in the last 10 years, and we compared their final salary and their benefit amount to the final salary that we had in file from when they actually terminated. And so anyone that had a, um, a large enough increase, we assumed it was um, future reciprocity. We found that 42% of members um, had this large increase, and on average, their salaries have increased 4 to 5% uh, from the time that they left the system until they retired. So we're proposing uh, that you increase the reciprocity assumption to be 40% and that they earn 4% while getting reciprocity. Okay, so moving on to mortality on slide 22. Uh, generally not not proposing much for changes here, although we did see slightly higher rates for the female healthy retirees uh, than expected. So we're uh, proposing increasing our adjustment factor. So, so not changing the tables, which are the 2010 public general tables, but um, increasing the factor. So, so those the rates at which people die, increasing that factor a bit from 
reduction of 0.96 or 1.02. On the disabled side, we, we propose moving from uh, the uh, CalPERS table to uh, a public of a general table for disabled mortality. Um, and uh, really no other changes, but you can see in the in the chart um, on, on the right side, uh, the current versus proposed actual expected. Um, and you can see that you know, where, where, where we folded things, where there's a change, we're trying to get close to 100%. Um, that's that's what the summary of mortality. They ask a question, and uh, this may be a non sequitur, but do you, do you use the same confidence level approach for economic assumptions as well as demographic assumptions? No, you mean the confidence inquiry? Yes. No, in other words, you go back and look at it historically and try to true up to what the actual experience has been? No, because typically for economic assumptions, we're not necessarily looking at actual experience and the cost of the prediction of the future or the expected happen. So we don't have the confidence interval there because we don't actually have specific, like for instance, the just tax rate. We might have what we set and what we actually draw. Right. Uh, to get a confidence interval, you actually need to have the exposure for the participant counts versus what, how many people. So we, you could look at, um, I guess you could look at a, a confidence interval for looking at the, um, like for instance, one horizon survey for the summary. We would look at, uh, we would look at the percentage models and then a confidence interval. So the the math gets much more complicated for confidence intervals if you're looking at an assumption that has uh, multiple potential outcomes. Uh, we're using them where uh, it, an event either happens or doesn't happen. You, you either retire or you don't. You either terminate or you don't. There's only uh, two outcomes uh, to measure. And, and so that gives us statistically a binomial distribution, which uh, we can use to calculate the confidence interval. Statistics, huh? Yeah. You got to love it. <laughs> yeah. One report, the next assumption is the disability rates and when people become disabled from active status. Um, we did exclude a couple of years of experience with this one um, around the pandemic. We did notice that there was that there was no experience, so there was a little bit of a lag of processing. So we we just had to can, can I? I'm so sorry. Can I ask you to speak a little closer to okay. the microphone so that we can hear you better? Thank you. So we're actually not. Uh, we didn't see too much difference from the current assumption. Um, so we're just proposing that. Uh, in the past, we used the, the latest uh, helpers tables, disability tables. Um, as you can see by the confidence intervals, they're pretty wide for disability. So we're just recommending that you update to the latest helpers table. Um, and then we're also, uh, based on the actual experience that we've seen in the last 10 years, we're, um, we're recommending that you increase your duty disability. So that's the disability that are service-related um, from 45% to 50%. So uh, 
administrative expenses. Uh, our assumption has been pretty close in terms of the total administrative expenses, um, but we have not been very accurate at allocating them between tier one and tier two. Uh, so we uh, talked with uh, Benji uh, about how they allocate the administrative expenses, and we understand that they are allocated uh, to specific tiers to the extent they can attribute the expense to the tier, but beyond that, they are allocated in proportion to assets. Uh, we have been currently allocating them in proportion to headcount. I think that was really developed when tier two was um, first implemented. Uh, that results in a much heavier weighting to tier two than than what we are seeing. So we're recommending that uh, we change to allocate between tier one and tier two based on uh, the percent as a percent of assets in proportion to the market value of assets. Uh, and that will allocate less expense assumed expenses to tier two and more assumed expenses to tier one. Let's go to the next slide. Um, can, I, can I ask a question with the chair? I apologize. I apologize. Uh, it's regarding the disability uh, slide. I Maybe you mentioned this and I lost and I missed it, but what exactly does it mean that increase assumed duty disabilities from 45% to 50%? What exactly does that mean? So the assumption is the incidence rates are just whether a disability occurs and then when a disability occurs, uh, we have this assumption. Now we're saying half of those are considered duty disabilities and half of them are non-service non connected disabilities. All right. And the, the factor of when disability occurs is what? That's what's shown in the chart that range. So, okay, the 20 days. So those, ra those rates are really small, right? Yeah. Yes, no, on this too. So, so there's a, a, a lower uh, probability of disability, but once there's a disability incidence, you're basically saying that half of those are service connected and half of those are not. Correct. Okay, all right. I just wanted to make sure I understood that, thank you. Um, so we also have to track, um, make an assumption about how many members are married at retirement. This data has been consistent, so we are not proposing any changes. But what is changing, <coughs> excuse me, is the age difference between the uh, member and spouse. And we've seen a, a trend over time of those age differences getting closer. Uh, so we are recommending a change for male members to be assumed to be two years older than their spouse rather than three. Um, it does not make a, a huge difference, but it's a minor uh, change here. So now getting to the impact of all of these assumption changes, uh, you can see that the Actuarial liability would increase by about $23 million on the almost $5 billion 
in assets. Uh, so that would uh, reduce the funded percentage from 58.5 to 58.2%. Uh, it, it does have a bigger impact on the normal cost rate, which goes into the member rates, uh, is split between the members and the city. Uh, so tier one, uh, we're seeing an increase from 7.5% to 8.2 for members and tier two, 8.1 to 8.3% for members. A uh, slight increase in the city rate and the city contribution of about 3.4 million. Uh, we do wanna say that um, part of that increase for tier one is based on the current allocation method for uh, the administrative expenses, as you recall, um, we are allocating uh, more administrative expenses to tier one, and that is about 30 um, basis points of the 70 basis point increase for tier one members. And um, we have asked uh, legal counsel about how uh, the administrative expenses should be split. And so we're uh, awaiting a, an opinion from legal counsel on that. So that impact on tier one members could change. Please, if I may comment on, on that, you'll see at the bottom of, um, of Chiron's slide 26 in, in very small font. Yeah. It says tier one member and city rates are pending legal opinion on who pays administrative expenses. We've we've been having this dialogue with uh, Chiron mm -hmm. uh, when we first got the uh, slide because of the statement on this slide. It says tier one is affected more significantly. Tier one member cost increase. Mm -hmm. um, We've been doing a deep dive in the municipal code on this. There is a difference in the federated system between the who pays the administrative expenses of the system. Mm -hmm. uh, there's a difference between tier one and tier two. Tier one members by statute specifically only pay a share of normal cost. And there's specific language in the municipal code that says that all administrative costs shall come out of employer contributions and not out of member contributions. Mm -hmm. So we're, we're putting the finishing touches on that as an advisory, but we wanted to give everyone a heads up and also to Chiron that this statement that to the extent that they're anticipating charging any of the administrative costs to tier one members contributions mm -hmm. that that's not going to be permitted that the, the code says that all administrative expenses come out of employer contributions mm -hmm. not out of our contributions that may be a change we'll have to look and see how that's been handled in the past mm -hmm. but i think going forward as part of the discussion today I feel confident in recommending to the board that the um, the adoption of, of the recommendations from Chiron today also include an instruction to uh, apportion whatever the tier one administrative costs are to the employer 
contributions as part of the unfunded liability hmm. that is paid by employer contributions and no attribution to member contributions. Okay. Um, and then by by our by our next meeting, we'll have a more formal opinion for okay. you in that regard. Very good. Thank you. <clears throat> and so that would um, reduce the tier one member contribution by 1.1% of pay. So um, it, it would uh, be estimated at 7.1. Mm. So it would go down? Yes. And yeah, and, and so then that balance would go to the city. Why would... So did the 7.5 include the administrative expense previously? It did. Um, We've historically had um, tier one members pay a portion of the administrative expense. Interesting. And I assume this impacts a relatively small and vanishing number of employees. So the total dollar impact is relatively Small I mean, number. We have a sizable population of tier one. Yeah, pretty, okay. It's a pretty big population. But yeah. Tier one is only about a third of the total population. According yeah, to if you go back to slide seven, you can see right. what we have. It continues to dwindle, but is okay. Not in have to. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and and so of course, this is just for tier one. Tier two members are. To share part of the administrative costs. Right, right. So there's yeah. no dispute there. And can I ask a question that may be left on examining, probably better, but uh, is your analysis going to address uh, what to do with prior administrative costs that were charged? I think we better. <laughs> Does that mean we owe people a refund? What we what we need to know is for how long has this practice been? You know, we, we need some data from Chiron in terms of how long is the practice of charging tier one members administrative fees been going on, and what is the magnitude of that charge? It's hmm. some look significant if it's one you know one percent of pay, but that's still cumulatively that could be a mm -hmm. material number. Okay. I, I, at present, we don't have a confidence level <laughs> in what that number is, uh, but that's what we're going to try to get our arms around. Okay, great. Well, Harvey, good job. <laughs> Seriously, as a tier one member and a city employee. <laughs> okay. I think Julie may have already had that money spent. <laughs> All right, so we're moving forward to the board decisions based on all this. Um, first of all, it's uh, sobering to look at the sheer number of discrete assumptions that go into this uh, analysis, uh, even though the net net of it is is relatively small in dollar terms. It's important to uh, to correct our assumptions as the years go on. So, um, I guess we're looking for a motion to accept the uh, proposed changes uh, from Chiron. We also just want to note on this final slide in the refund section, we have um, some specifics for the tier two refund rate. A little closer to the mic. 
but we actually are recommending no change to that. So we can strike the last two bullets in the refunds. Strike the last two bullets of the refunds. And I thought we couldn't allocate between tiers. I thought that's what we were just talking about from administrative experience. No, expenses. It's, it's not allocating it between the tiers. Allocating once you've allocated who pays for it. How much right. you've allocated okay. for Whether it's the city or the employee or okay. something. Okay. So if I, if I may, Please. the motion could include, acceptable to the mover, uh, could include direction to Chiron uh, to charge administrative tier one administrative expenses solely to the employer. Yeah. Okay. Well, before we get to motions, are there any other questions from trustees? And so, would someone like to make a motion? Yeah, I make a motion. I move that uh, we adopt the proposed changes and the addition from uh, Mr. Daniel. Okay, so that's a motion from. Oh, well, wait a minute. Is that motion? To... Is to accept the proposed changes and direct Chiron to uh, deduct all tier one administrative costs from the city side. From the correct? city side or no, from the employee side. Oh, from the employee side. Yeah, from the member side. Yeah, from the member side. And I think the motion also needs to include what Jackie right. said, the last two bullet points on slide 27 on right. the refunds. Would be spread. Yeah. Uh, and uh, the, the mover agrees. So is there a second for that detailed motion? I'll, I'll second. second. All right. Go. Okay. Uh, Trustee Abbott first. That's fine. Uh, any further discussion on the motion? Any public comment? We will roll call vote. Uh, Trustee uh, Vice Chair Jennings. Aye. Uh, Trustee Chandra? Aye. Trustee Abbott? Aye. Trustee Linder? Aye. Trustee Faulkner? Aye. And I vote aye as well. The motion passes. Shoot. All right. So we're on, that was items 5C and D. We're up to 5E. I actually did have a question. Okay. And it's sort of, when we look at the changes that are happening with this particular retirement system, do they seem to be consistent generally with the changes you're seeing in other retirement systems like police and fire? It's just, or, or CalPERS or things like that, or it's just so detailed you don't. It's, hard, really... it's hard to compare demographic assumptions across the board, um, just because every every area is unique. Um, it's easier rather economic yeah. assumptions. Um, well, I can't really say, um, I will say, you know, in general, you're seeing that people are living longer, right? Yeah. So the mortality, that would be something that was pretty comfortable in a couple. Um, but in general, the other ones are pretty specific to the plan of the provision. I would say that. I, I would add that um, with our recent history uh, with inflation and stuff, we are certainly seeing uh, higher salary increases across all of our plans, mm -hmm. higher than assumed. So there is some of that that carries across. And, and I would imagine a public safety may have very different disability rates than the uh, yeah. yeah. so, yeah. yeah. 
So it could be very different yeah. experiences. So with that, I'd like to take a break for five minutes before we proceed to 5B. Hopefully Chiron is acceptable to that. And then we'll dive into the OPEB assumptions. Thank you. 
So I believe we're up to item 5E, our OPEB assumptions. Please proceed. I'm uh, gonna turn this over to uh, Mike Shunning and the rest of our team to present the OPEB assumptions. Great. Okay, so again, give a little bit of background. This is really to set the OPEB assumptions, so the very specific assumptions for the OPEB evaluation and uh, authority for the board. First page is some background is the OPEB plan is actually mostly closed. So only tier one members who did elect to join the DEVA actually get the full benefits. And there's also small benefits available to someone who with a catastrophic disability to exhaust the benefit they get a benefit in from Medicare eligibility. The member contributions into the fund are actually fixed at seven and a half percent of A. And then the city contribution is actually set by this board. There is a cap at 14% of pay, so if contribution ever exceeds 14% of pay, the city is elect to cap its contribution. And right now, the contribution is well below that limit. And the upcoming valuation will actually be developing the city's contribution for fiscal 2025 and will be used for the aggregate in 74, 75, and 40 for fiscal year ending September 2021. The next page shows the historical projections. We get these are based on the last valuation, but it but it does include the impact of what the assets were as of 6 2023. And you can really see at the end of 2022, the plan was 60% funded. Now, using the projected liabilities, we're actually up to 63% funded. And if all assumptions are met going forward, in the next 15 years, the plan will actually be fully funded. And then you can look at the city's contributions. They're actually fairly flat to declining over time. And the number of contributions will be dropping as well as those numbers retire. So it's kind of the city's contributions are fairly consistent going forward. So the next thing we're going to talk about is the actual OPEM assumptions. And so in general, we use the same assumptions for the pension plan where it's appropriate, which are really the economic assumptions for the price inflation, wage inflation, as well as all of the demographic assumptions. The reality is the retirement is five that people don't really make their retirement decision on what their health care benefits are going to be. But there are some unique OPEP assumptions, and they're really healthcare trend rates, so how much health care costs are going to be increased in the future, what plans people will elect once they retire and lose collections, the administrative expenses, and the expected return on assets. And so basically an overview is our overall recommendations are some changes to the, the trend rates because again, unfortunately, short-term trends are up due to inflation. Some slight changes in the plan elections as that's changed a little bit over time and a little bit of a change in the in loop years. Changes with that, but other than that, we'll know significant changes. The biggest impact is really in the explicit subsidy piece. So, basically, members reimburse for the amount of cost for the lowest cost plan offered to active employees. And in our last valuation, we expected that to be up by a little bit more than 7%, and the actual increase was over 10%. So caught up a bit. So basically, all pre-Medicare members will receive that additional subsidy. In addition, 
We expected the Medicare piece to go up by 4%. For the Anthem, which is about 60% of the population, a little bit below that, the Kaiser was significantly at 16%. And because those, all of those premiums are well under what the maximum subsidy is, all of that amounts basically shifts to the cost. So we'll kind of see some actual loss between that and premium experience for higher So for the trend rates, um, for the for our long-term projections, we use a model uh, published by Society of Actuaries, and that's consistent with prior years. Um, we have updated, as Mike mentioned, the initial short-term trend expectations. Um, so our initial trend expectations for non-Medicare plans are we have a 10% trend initially, and for Medicare plans, we have 6% trend initially. And those trends are rated downward linearly toward a long run trend rate of 4.97% in 2032. Um, now that 4.97% is GDP growth of plus 1% reflecting that healthcare has, has been growing faster than GDP. Um, and then that grades down to, to GDP over the long run by 2075, uh, reflecting the fact that that can't happen forever. Um, and then that trend is just kept at 3.5%. So then this slide just shows um, a comparison of our proposed trend rates this year to last year's trend rates. And you can see the, the higher trends initially. Um, and the proposed trends are actually a little bit lower over the, the long run uh, between 2032 and 2075. And we also looked at plan elections. Um, so a couple adjustments there that highlighted in red, um, the Kaiser deductible HMO, uh, we, we decreased that assumption, uh, to 8%. Um, we also decreased the Anthem select PPO participation assumption and saw corresponding increases in the, uh, Anthem traditional $20 copay plan and the Anthem high deductible plan. Um, for the Medicare eligible plans, uh, we've seen slightly higher participation in the uh, Kaiser Senior Advantage plan, so we bumped that up by 1%, uh, offsetting the 1% decrease that we would have seen in the Anthem EPO plan. We've uh, migrated, we've assumed everyone in the Anthem HMO plan will migrate over to that Anthem EPO plan, so that assumption stays the same. And we also looked at the uh, in-lieu coverage tiers, and we now have about six years of data on that, so we made some adjustments there. Um, primarily, fewer uh, retiree-only and retiree-only elections. The last two assumptions that um, looked at the first one is that administrative expenses. So typically we have the uh, we have a dollar a month per member and we increase it with the student rate inflation So the current assumption using the current assumption it would have been hundred and six dollars and nine cents. Um, so we took that we looked at it we looked at the historical administrative expenses um, for the current year and and increased them with the assumed wage inflation. So 
there was a change in the administrative expense allocation back to, to fiscal year 2020. So we've only looked at data since then. So the average adjusted expense per member for the last four years is about $99.33. And if we increase that with the wage inflation to the end of fiscal year in 2025, uh, it comes out to be about $105.38. So we're proposing uh, changing the assumption to just be around $105 per member for fiscal year in 2025. Um, assuming that it will increase for future wage inflation each year after that. Can I ask a question on this? This the administrative expenses is this the same situation as the pension? In other words, no, no, it's not because we're not um, we're not allocating it between the tiers, and it's not getting. Um, allocated to the participants. So it's not getting it's not the same thing as you know, I get that, but you are accounting for some expenses that would eventually have an impact mm -hmm. on a cost that is paid by employees with tier one. So I, I'm just raising the question. I don't know. I mean, I, I may be thinking too much, but I don't, I mean, I don't want to make it more difficult. Because Measure F actually dictated employees will contribute 85% of salary. So therefore, it's just like, this is what you're contributing towards benefit. That is that is true. That is, so that, that's yeah. really, so they're just contributing that amount. The moment. So we're keeping track of these for, just so that we can determine the, the, the funding status. Can be charged to the employer. Right. Oh, okay. All right. Understood. Thank you. Thank you. Um, and then the last assumption we're going to look at is the expected return on assets. Um, so this is uh, saving your discount rate for the plan. Uh, we look at uh, they provided us the capital market assumption for um, 2023. And it's over a 10 and 20 year time uh, period. Uh, we also looked at the Horizon Survey, uh, which includes uh, 42 consultants for a 10 year time horizon and 27 consulting firms over 20 years. Uh, there were significant increases, um, about 150 to 200 basis points from the PETA from last year. Uh, so that is, you know, that, that's illustrated in the, um, in the chart to the right. You can see the 15 percentile, but a much higher expected uh, average distribution of your average returns. So, um, so it's much higher than what you lost here. Mm -hmm. This here shows the uh, this graph here shows the historical. So, um, so basically, as your capital market fluctuations and interest rates and valuations and PD ratios. But when you're looking at your discount rate, you wanted to fall typically between your 10 and 20 year expectations. So it gets you between 40 to 70% of your present value of benefits. Uh, right now, your current discount rate is 6%, uh, which is very conservative when compared to the capital market assumption. There's um, significant changes over the last, uh, over the prior years. The graph to the left shows you that range between your 10, the bars show you the range of your 10 to 20 year time horizon. 
and the gold uh, diamonds on rods that we can't break for the plant rods in that year. You can see for most of the year, uh, for, uh, four out of the last five years, it fell within that um, that range. But you can see how much higher those little ranges are now. They are wider, but they're much higher um, for 2023. So it kind of indicates, um, you know, your first instinct would be like, well, do we need an increase of discount rate? But what you've got to take into consideration is all these increases in the capital market is like this temporary race on the environment right now. Yeah. Um, you know, and it's it's very um, it's very easy to increase the discount rate, but it's very painful and difficult to decrease it over time. And um, we just want, you know, we would like to keep in mind that it's okay for your discount rate to be less than the expected returns. Um, the reverse is not okay. So if the capital market is something much lower, it wouldn't be okay for you to set your discount rate much higher. Um, so we are proposing that you do not change your discount rate this year, um, just to kind of wait and see if it's really a temporary shift in the environment. Um, but if you did decide that you wanted to increase the discount rate, we would uh, recommend that um, small steps in increasing your fee would be prudent. Other any questions from trustees? So I would propose that we split our decision uh, between all of the assumptions except discount rate and then look at discount rate since that seems to be the most uh, consequential. So if anyone would like to make a proposal on the assumptions other than discount rate, that would be a great time to do that. Any particular reason you want to split them out? Uh, just so we could have a more fulsome discussion on the discount rate itself, if that's what we want to do. Again, that's my 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 proposal. If you wish to make an, a, a motion on all assumptions, you as a trustee are free to do so. And we could also have a discussion prior to making motions as well. I mean, if we want to, if, if people have questions yeah. about the discount rate, why don't we just dive into that? And, okay. Mm -hmm. uh, I agree. I, I mean, I, I'm strongly in support of not changing the discount rate, mm -hmm. but if others disagree, then we can have a conversation about it. Okay. Are there other views on that? Any questions about any of these assumptions? And so specifically I, discount rate? Yeah, so I agree with Trustee Chandra that, mm -hmm. you know, the discount rate, we just heard that we have 16 basis points so far. Um, that, well, that was on the pension plan, not on, uh, I, uh, on the yeah, uh, OPEP. But uh, it's actually probably better on OPEP. Okay. Uh, I don't know if we, if our CIO has a separate number for our the OPEP performance to date. I think it's about a negative one and a half percent. Oh, negatives? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So it doesn't seem to me like we want to increase our mm -hmm. discount rate, right? Based on current no. performance. Okay. Yeah, and I, I would want to have a, a real thorough capital markets discussion with Nikita um, yeah. to think about the 10 and 20 year, because again, mm -hmm. I think reacting to three months, six months, one year, two year, three year is a real mistake. Yeah. Generally. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I, I'm not saying we should change either way. Mm -hmm. I'm just saying we right. should hold everything based on where we are. 
Yeah, this is Laura from Makita, and I would support not increasing the discount rate based on capital market assumptions from last year. Okay. Well, it sounds like there's not a lot of interest in, in changing the uh, discount rate. Certainly, uh, you know, again, as we looked at even last month, we looked at the main, we're in a position where we could actually begin to consider raising the discount rate, which is kind of a sea change since I've been here. Mm -hmm. So that's uh, encouraging. Um, it seems that the OPEB assumption is even more conservative than our um, six and five eighths for uh, for the main pension plan, uh, but it certainly makes sense uh, to to hold it steady. So, are there any other questions or comments on all the assumptions collectively? I just want to reiterate. I know this came up. So, the administrative expenses there. This is not something that being passed on to the employees or anything like that. It's just updating the assumption. Is that correct? It's updating the assumption for the employer portion because the employee contributions are a state rate. So they do not change from year to year and they're not dependent on that assumption. It's, it's really hard. It's like an echo when they talk. So um, but can you repeat it Deb, for me, please? Yeah, so the administrative expense assumption, it really is, it's going to be reflected in the employer contribution, your city contribution. Because the employee contributions are a set rate, mm -hmm. uh, that assumption does not affect the employee contributions expense, their, their contribution. Okay, so no change to the employee contribution. Correct. Correct. <laughs> Short but it, but it, okay. a change on the total dollar amount. A the, total, yeah, because of the uh, salary increases. Mr. Chair, I will um, move all the recommendations, including the discovery. Okay, so we have a motion from Trustee Linda to accept all recommendations as presented by Chiron. Is there a, a second? A second. We have a second from Trustee Abbott. Any further trustee discussion? Any comment from the public? Any raised hands online? No? So we will vote. Uh, Vice Chair Jennings? Aye. Trustee Chandra? Aye. Trustee Abbott? Aye. Trustee Linder? Aye. Trustee Faulkner? Aye. And I vote aye as well. Motion carries. Thank you. Yeah. Look forward to seeing Chiron next month. Mm -hmm. So now we have uh, item 5F. Discussion and action to amend the contract with Reed Smith to change the designated quote unquote attorney representative. Um, um, Mr. Chair, so yes. let me uh, kick that off. Um, first, I do. Um, well, so you have the contract, and you contract with Reed Smith have a section uh, that indicates a designated attorney rep. Uh, that attorney has been uh, Harvey Lederman since uh, the initial engagement of Smith with the board. Uh, and as many of you know, uh, Harvey is actually uh, finally uh, retiring, uh, well-deserved retirement after many, 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 many years in the industry. Um, I, I do recall, did I say too many minutes? <laughs> I do recall um, uh, in my initial uh, uh, position with Fresno County in 2002, I met 
hardly. That is uh, over 20 years ago, and uh, you know we have been working the, in different systems from time to time. In fact, um, Harvey was the person that called me back home in Puerto Rico and told me that this position uh, was coming up and if I wanted to apply. So, um, in any case, uh, I personally going to be sad to see um, Harvey uh, retire. It's been a real pleasure uh, and, and really an honor working with you for the last uh, some 20 years. And I wish you uh, nothing but the best and a long and healthy retirement. But going back to this item, um, in the contract, uh, you as a board get to designate who your attorney representative is. You have been working uh, with Maytag uh, for the last, uh, maybe if I'm mistaken, correct me, six, nine months. I'm not even sure. Like here. No, no, yeah, but coming to the boards, and uh, you, you've been behind the scenes for longer than that, but uh, attending the board meetings and everything else. And so, uh, in a nutshell, the, the recommendation before you this morning is um, to swap uh, Harvey as the attorney representative for uh, the boards and uh, install Maytag. Um, this is really your board decision. Mm -hmm. um, let me just give you some background on that. The last time that the office conducted an NFP for general and legal services was in the spring of 2020. Um, we like to do our fees every five years or so. So the next one is due or we will come back to you, probably not me, but the staff in general, closer to the spring of 2025 to issue another IFP. Mm -hmm. um, I am recommending uh, for you to consider at least designated, uh, designated MATAC chain as you uh, representative at this point. Uh, it is certainly your, your decision. You can ask questions of MATAC and talk to her. You could indicate that you want to do it for six months and issue a new RFP, and we'll be happy to do that. You could also uh, work with Meta for the next few years and then just conduct your general RFP at the general time in 2025 if you call. Mm -hmm. But the recommendation before you is to designate Meta as the attending rep. I'm happy to answer any questions, and I'm sure that if you have any questions to reach me, they'd be happy to address mm -hmm. it themselves. Thank okay. you. Great. Are there any questions from trustees about our board legal counsel? Okay. Um, well, I'll certainly add to your comments. We've relied on, on Harvey's uh, wisdom, judgment, and experience for the entire time I've been on the board. That sounds like for much longer than that. So uh, we're sorry to see him go. Never has a person sat through as many full pension board meetings as Harvey Lederman. <laughs> that in itself is uh, is uh, quite a quite a uh, yeah. achievement. Um, but if anyone would like to make a motion about transferring our uh, designation of attorney representative to uh, Maytag Chen, uh, now would be the time to do so. I saw a motion. We have a motion from Trustee Abbott. Do we have a second? Well, I'll second since she beat me to the first. <laughs> okay, we have a second from a slow, slow hand uh, yeah. Trustee Chandra. I'm not going to play Jeopardy, <laughs> I guess. <laughs> Do we have any uh, any discussion or questions from trustees? 
Any public comment? Anybody online? All right, we will then have roll call vote. Uh, Vice Chair Jennings? Aye. Uh, Trustee Chandra? Aye. Trustee Abbott? Aye. Trustee Linder? Aye. Trustee Faulkner? Aye. And I vote aye as well. So, uh, unanimous. It's unanimous. Thank you, <laughs> Thank you Attorney Chen. You are now our official representative. Well, thank you everyone for that. I appreciate appreciate it. And I've been working with the plan since 2014 um, yeah. as litigation counsel, but more uh, formally as your general counsel, outside general counsel and fiduciary counsel at the meeting more recently. So I appreciate the opportunity to continue working with you, mm -hmm. um, which leads me into the next uh, agenda item. You're ready. Okay, we are. Okay. Hitting the ground running. Five <laughs> You know, all business. I appreciate your time and I respect your time. So, um, as some of you may be aware, that the city auditor presented its report, his report to the city council, and the mayor issued a memorandum in response. Uh, I appeared before the city council uh, earlier last, in, uh, I think it was about two weeks ago, as fiduciary council to comment on the mayor's uh, memorandum to make clear that we are addressing the issues raised in the audits and are exercising our independent uh, authority to do so. The mayor had, as Roberto mentioned in his comments, directed the boards and ORS to report back within 45 days on our progress, uh, uh, determining whether or not we are going to adopt any or all of the city uh, processes and procedures and policies, and or if we're going to develop our own. Now, there are definitely instances where the board should absolutely exercise their independence from the plan sponsor, um, and those, Areas are generally encompassed under the California Constitution. Those relate to, for example, benefit administration, actuarial services, um, investments. Those are the three main functions that are constitutionally uh, bestowed on this board that the city uh, is separate from the city's functions. But there are instances where it's more prudent to adopt and follow the city policies, and given that ORS is a city department. So after consideration of the laws governing the board's authorities and practical considerations and my review of the city policies, I am presenting to the board today my assessment of where it is prudent to adopt city policies. And so if you go with me to the backup uh, documents um, for item 5G, I've listed out a series of uh, the city policies and in the, in the right-hand column have indicated where I, I believe it's prudent for the board to adopt um, these policies for ORS. Most of these deal with, for example, fair employment, ethical conduct, health and safety, uh, drug-free workplace, et cetera, et cetera. There, there are instances where I, I want to take a deeper look at the policies before I recommend one way or the other to follow those city policies. But in light of the, the mayor's direction for us to come back within 45 days, um, this is my recommendation to the board. Thank you. Any question from trustees on this matrix? Just one question, please. Yes. So when you talk about review for compatibility with Major G, mm -hmm. is that just because of all the things that are loaded onto Major G? Well, we just want to make sure that it's reserving the right of our boards, for example, for compensation for the CEO, if it, if it works out with the city policies or not. Um, similarly, for the CIO position, uh, we're giving specific authority over setting compensation. Um, so we, I want to make sure that it's compatible with our, our independent authority on the right. that, that makes sense to me. Thank you. I have one mm -hmm. question. It's is that's chapter 6.1 general procedures. <laughs> It says adopt all for RS except for city policy number 6.19. And it 
says it should be reviewed for compatibility with the Constitution, but energy fund transfers and deposits. Yeah, I, I have no idea what that is. <laughs> right. So I'm not exactly sure either. I haven't had the opportunity to take a look at it. The, the only um, consideration, for example, is if it infringes in any of our administration of our plan. I don't think it should, but I'm reserving the right to go back and take a look at it. Okay. It's all very good. So, I also so have a question on the uh, travel piece. Go ahead. Um, so, um, Maytag, can you give us a little more what you're, how you're looking at that? So, modify city policy to be tailored to the plan administration for compatibility. Uh huh. So, if you look at uh, the page two where it talks about chapter 1.8 travel and transportation, yes. you'll see that we have adopted most all of the policies with the exception of employee travel. That's the only uh, section where I think that we may want to take a closer yep. look at to see if we can provide uh, more restrictive travel policies uh, for that. For example, I've heard from staff and also from the board, there are times where um, you know a cheaper option is available, if, but it's not uh, within city policy. So if you're not staying at the hotel where a conference is held, um, and there's a cheaper option elsewhere, you're not allowed to book the cheaper option. You have to book the, the conference hotel rate instead, even though it's more expensive to the plan. That's inconsistent with our fiduciary duties. And so, um, you know, we, we may want to take a look at that to make a more restrictive plan that, where it makes more financial sense for our, our plan rather than following city policies. Now, are you are you saying that in every case, our proposal would be more restrictive? Or are there possibilities where we want to be less restrictive? Well, I think with travel, the efficiency. Well, I think with travel in particular, we would want to be more restrictive um, mm -hmm. because of fiduciary considerations of the how much mm -hmm. we're spending. I don't think we want to give more latitude for people to spend more than what the city policy provides. But there are other areas where we may be broader. For example, um, contracts and procurement. We may have a more uh, lax policy on certain things, so we can make sure that we we. Um, can get the right vendors. So here's an example where you know there's some friction currently. There we we currently hire a vendor that sends death notifications, so we don't pay members who are deceased. Yeah. Um, that that vendor contract is currently set to lapse, but we've sent it to the procurement policy or procurement department at the city, and they've just sat on it. And so our contract actually is going to lapse in January, and we haven't been able to get the procurement department to move that contract in. Forward. The purchaser that was assigned to that contract was let go or somehow moved on from the department and our vendor contract has languished. And so that's a situation where in emergency circumstances, we would like to reserve that right because if we continue to pay benefits where as members deceased, that's potentially a lot of money mm -hmm. out of the system. More than the cost of the vendor. Right. Um, with respect to employee travel, I think we at least could look at some balance between cost and efficiency, right? Um, which may produce not a more restrictive, but in terms of cost, perhaps slightly less restrictive, but that has some respect for uh, the traveling employee and and some some respect for reasonable convenience right. and, so, and that sort of thing. Right, because I think that San Jose's current travel policy requires um, employees to fly out of San Jose. Right, this may not always be sensible. Exactly, because there might be a cheaper flight or a more convenient to fly out of San Francisco for the connection flights for our staff to get there. So, you know, we're not we're not okay. legislating currently, but those parameters would be. It's just a 
highlight an, an example of things we should consider. Thank you. So, thank you. Uh, May Tech, I thought we also heard that we wanted more control over travel so that we could get approvals faster. Because um, some cases things needed to happen at a more mm -hmm. expedient rate, so there there might be more things in this chapter that we want to come back and revisit in a little more detail. I would think. Yes, that's correct. So this this is just a city's policy. So I've just identified which portions of the city policies we want to adopt. That's not to say that the boards can't exercise their rulemaking authority on any other areas related to travel. We could certainly do that. The only thing here is that I, you know, I've identified where we would adopt the city policy. Mm -hmm. So that's the only that's the only uh, decision point that's provided to the board today. Uh, Mr. Payne, you had a no. I just wanted to echo your words. I'm glad you raised the issue uh, because I know council used the word restrictive, and I think your point is well taken. And also, yours, Trustee but I think we want to have flexibility and have an, an effective. Uh, uh, policy, uh, because just saying that is, and I know that was not your intention, but just using the word restrictive is it, it sort of limits the options. And we want to make sure that certainly we don't want to spend more than we should, but we want to make it convenient. I know one of the issues on the travel is the approval is required by the city manager. Obviously, that will be, I'm assuming, one of the issues we're going to be looking at because. I can imagine what the city manager has to approve for a good to be traveling, right? So yeah, so so I think you know, and this is more properly a governance committee function where we would take a closer look at the policies and say, okay, where does this work for us, and where do we want some exceptions where we could, you know, uh, trigger that and exercise our authority. Um, but for the most part, I don't think we deviate too far from city mm -hmm. policies, but we do want to take a look and see what's fitting us. Right. Yeah, I was really. Merely suggesting that cost alone is not the only metric. We right. need to look at efficiency, uh, suitability okay. to purpose, et cetera. So, um, one more question. Um, if we uh, veer from the city policy based on Measure G or the constitutional article, um, I assume that has to be negotiated in, in a way or at least discussed with the city because they're still going to be processing the request so that's where we clarify and and codify you know whatever needs to be done so the city understands okay we're dealing with ors on these and then they follow those guidelines thus not stumbling on the travel yeah, I mean, that's up for a future discussion. Um, right now, the only decision point put before the board is whether or not to adopt the recommended policies from the city. There are areas between the city policies, the municipal code, the charter, and our um, our own policies and procedures within for our board, our charters. And there's gray area. There's a lot of gray area that maybe need to be addressed with the city by an MOU. Um, but that's not before we haven't engaged the city with that dialogue yet. So we haven't identified all the gray areas that require city collaboration that would be brought up with the governance committee. Um, but the, the the point for action today is whether or not to adopt the recommended policies as stated in the in the matrix. Okay, I got it. So I'm ready? To, I'm done. To clarify, then the vision is we've identified areas of possible uh, separation of procedures. Then we will next step figure out exactly what procedures we are proposing if we are proposing 
And then the final step is to propose an MOU and negotiate one with the city where right. we have separate procedures. So that's the, the ultimate that's overall, the ultimate okay. North right. Star so, so, is this MOU. So right now, the, these policies are kind of the low-hanging fruit mm -hmm. because they're already drafted. They're city-vetted policies. I, I believe it's prudent to just adopt those. Mm -hmm. But um, with the reservation that we want to take a look at some of the other ones to okay. make sure they fit us. And so I'm seeing, you know, we're adopting lots of policies as, as is from the city, uh, but still quite a few areas of review. And what do you, do you have the resources to do this? Do we have the resources? What is the, do you think is the timeline for us to, to analyze and vet these? Well, you know, that's actually what I want to bring up with the governance committee. We had a governance committee meeting on November 27th. And so what I envisioned there is to provide uh, my assessment in terms of a work plan, likely going with the lower hanging fruit first, just mm -hmm. clear that out of the way and um, work to see what the governance committee wants to do. Um, we may engage Cortex, we may have staff take a first look, we might have, I mean, legal is obviously going to look at it before it gets mm -hmm. presented to the board, but okay. um, we'll see what the governance committee wants to do. And it'll be a joint meeting. So at this point, do we need a motion to approve this matrix of areas for investigation, I would call it, for analysis? Yes. Are there any other questions from trustees? Just a comment. I take it then that the, with this motion uh, and a similar motion with police and fire, that in response to the mayor's request that we return mm -hmm. uh, within 45 days from the last meeting with the city council and give them a status update that this would be the core of the status update. Right. Mm -hmm. Right. And in addition to the matrix, in terms of responding to that request, uh, will we have some some prose explanation about why we are carving out the specific areas that we're carving out? Yeah, I mean, the, for, for the most part, it's just, I, I would envision, I haven't drafted the letter yet, okay, and so I can take direction from the board on how you want to go about it. But mm -hmm. the way I'm envisioning, and again, it would be from the chief's terrace, is look, we've adopted all these city policies. We're looking, we're, we're looking into further um, examples of, you know, these areas mm -hmm. um, and may develop policies. But um, I do think it's prudent to go back to the city and say, hey, we're not rogue. We're, we, we have adopted some of the policies and we're acknowledging it publicly. Okay. Um, and I did want to highlight to them the, the, the uh, death vendor contract issue because it is important to our plan. Okay. And just for clarification, I believe police and fire have, have already approved this matrix. That That's correct. correct. Okay. Mm, Trustee. So with all that said, uh, uh, Chair will entertain a motion to approve this matrix. So moved, Mr. Chair. So we have a motion from Trustee Linda. Do we have a second? I'll second. We have a second from Trustee Chandra. Is there any further trustee discussion? Any public comment? Raised hands. No, we will vote. Uh, Vice Chair Jennings? Aye. Trustee Chandra? Aye. Trustee Abbott? Aye. Trustee Linda? Aye. Trustee Faulkner? Aye. And I vote aye as well. Motion passes. Thank you so much. A lot of work. Yeah, and much more to come. There's more to come to this year. Yeah, it's coming. Mr. Chair? Yes. Before we go to the next item, can I, 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 I left something out on my reporting and I wanted huh? to bring it up now. If you could just give me two minutes. I, I, I believe we can indulge you, sir. I appreciate that. Um, so you all know there is an actual joint personnel committee of the boards that have been working in a lot of issues, including um, 
a review of salary uh, ranges for the CEO, CIO, and investment offices, as well as possible incentive compensation. To that extent, after uh, many meetings at the JPC, uh, Trustee Andrew Gardinier from uh, Police and Fire and your chair, Spencer Horowitz, attended a, a council meeting. Uh, I believe it was in October, early October. It was late September. But late September, um, uh, with the presentation, uh, not on incentive compensation, but um, there was an actual work uh, completed and a review by COP and Associates uh, on a comparison of salary ranges for those positions with uh, similar systems across the state of California. Uh, there was a presentation made uh, and a recommendation to uh, expand or to move up those salary uh, ranges. Uh, the city council actually deferred uh, the decision on that matter and uh, requested their own staff to do some further work, including, I believe, and I'm, I'm mistaken, correct me, uh, to review how, uh, especially those salaries uh, of the CEO and CIO will impact um, the, uh, or compare to the salaries of other directors at the city level. Uh, the city is actually right now, um, in terms of coming back to present to the city council, they have designated December 5th, uh, the date that they're considering going back. I uh, just wanted to let you know, uh, Andrew is well aware of that. I'm not sure if for Federated will be Spencer or Vanurag this time around to attend the, uh, the city council meeting. But I wanted to let you know that that issue about the compacting issue with the salaries at this office and salaries at the city and the study and review done by the city staff on that, they will be presenting that to the city council on the 5th. And I think they also may be talking about the request, which is your request is to uh, bring the salary ranges of Metro G uh, to the 50 percentile. So they have comments on that. Um, once that information is available and public, I will make it available to the trustees that will be attending the, the council meeting. But I, I neglected to up, you know, bring you up to the that issue and I wanted to let you know now. So happy to answer any questions. So just one slight correction, our, our proposal, if you all remember, was to actually bring the uh, salary ranges up 75%, to the 75th percentile. Correct. Thank you, yes. Um, that was deferred, and in yes. terms of attendance, I believe uh, Trustee Chandra and I had a discussion, and Trustee Chandra actually is the vice chair of JPC. Uh, I believe he will commit to attending the December 5th meeting. Yeah. Okay. Uh, with... Uh, JPC uh, member Andrew Gardner. Yes, thank so, you for the correction. You are correct. The 50 percent that is actually the city's equation. That's their vision of things. Yes, yeah. thank or you. Or at least articulated so far. Uh, so, if there's any other questions about that issue, okay, move on to 5H, the uh, delicate issue of nominations <laughs> for chair and vice chair for the next calendar year, and I believe. Uh, a, a single trustee can do nomination. We don't need a, 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 right. a second. Month. And uh, I think uh, trustees can feel free to nominate themselves. In fact, I would encourage that. <laughs> oh, actually, the nominees must be nominated by another voting member under the oh, election okay. yeah, right. policy. No, so. you, you try. Uh, okay. <laughs> 
but nevertheless, it just takes a single a single voice can can change the course of history. Um, <laughs> so uh, should we do the chair first? If there are any nominations for board chair, it's uh, I can recommend the job. It's it's a lot of fun. It <laughs> takes almost no time whatsoever, and uh, will certainly give you insights that are not necessarily available to trustees at large. So, uh, well, I will enthusiastically renominate or nominate to for another term by uh, Spencer Harways. Fearing you might say that. <laughs> Are there any other nominations? Okay, well, that silence uh, speaks volumes. Um, it is, uh, it has been a big, uh, big challenge this past year. It has been a lot of time. Uh, insofar as we are in a state of flux on so many issues, I, I would accept the nomination. Um, I believe we can still have nominations. We're going to actually vote on the chair in the next <laughs> December meeting. And so we can, could accept nominations as late as that. That's correct. So there's still another chance for people to, to consider and reconsider. And uh, we certainly need, you know, we need new blood in, in the chairmanship as uh, as we move forward. And we will now go on to nom nominations of vice chair. Let me simply say, I will almost certainly be absent for some meetings next year. So whoever is our vice chair will be chairing meetings and with all the other responsibilities that come with that. And uh, probably in that case, uh, a physical presence in person would be most efficient. Uh, that is here, you know, at the meeting place in San Jose. And before we move on, I do want to thank you for your service. We're, we've got a lot of issues right now. And I think having the same horse midstream continuing all the way is really beneficial. So thank you. Okay. Well, I, I appreciate that. I agree. This horse is getting flogged, but okay. <laughs> Uh, nominations for the August uh, position of vice chair. Anybody like to be nominated for that position? We currently have uh, vice chair Jennings doing an admirable job. I don't know if she's willing to, to do this for another year or if someone else would like to step into that position, possibly as teeing up uh, prospective run for chairmanship in the coming year. You look like you're considering. No, for me, yeah. I would have to quit if I was taking on any single greater responsibility. My employer is already unhappy with how much time I spend. Are you, are you saying quit your job or quit the board? <laughs> no, I, okay. I, I thought we might have at, to quit. At the, uh, at the great rate they pay me, I unfortunately have to keep the full time. You're, you're, you're actually, you're actually, it's all about money for you. Huh? Okay. <laughs> I, I do like feeding my family, Spencer. Okay. <laughs> Often it is. Um, I'm happy to uh, quit back to me the current vice chair. Okay. And, and uh, hopefully we can work out when you're gone. She can be first. Okay. Yeah. Um, if I need to go in, I can go in. All right. The, uh, roads are open and that's all, you know, during the winter time and all. So, so. just make sure you leave earlier in case yeah. it's an accident. Yeah. 
Perhaps Trustee Linda can pick you up on the way from Santa Cruz. <laughs> Um, <laughs> so you're willing to accept the nomination. Are there any other? I'm nominees? willing to accept it. Uh, my plan retirement date is March, 2025, and then I will be retiring and, uh, will be like, uh, trustee Linder, one of the retirees. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Probably not as busy um, as him. <laughs> all right. Well, I must say there's, there's, there's no valor in, you know, winning an election unopposed. So, uh, <laughs> well, there's unanimity. <laughs> I believe Stalin felt the same way. Oh, wow. Um, <laughs> all right. There are no other nominations. I believe we're ready to move over to item 5I, standing uh, committee assignments. And uh, there is a proposed change I would like to make there. Uh, currently, the Joint Personnel Committee, who has obviously been very active on a number of issues, um, I would like to uh, uh, swap out uh, Trustee Jennings for Trustee Linder. And, um, you know, with, with seven trustees and 15 committee assignments, there's always one poor unfortunate uh, trustee who ends up taking one more uh, committee assignment than the rest of us. And uh, Trustee Linder looks like he's getting the short end of that stick right now. But uh, hopefully he's willing to serve. I believe he is. Uh, and the reason for this is, is quite specific. The Joint Personnel Committee is in the process of forming an ad hoc committee of the Joint Personnel Committee to begin the process of hiring, of, of, of identifying and hiring a, a uh, search firm to help us uh, in the process of hiring a, a new CEO for the plan. So um, Mr. Linder has considerable experience in this area. He serves, as you probably know, as an interim uh, city manager for, for plans around the state, and, or for cities around the state, not for pension mm -hmm. plans, and uh, has also, before retirement, was a, a senior city manager here in San Jose. So I think he's well-placed and has experience in this very specific function. So... Uh, his assistance at the Joint Personal Committee would be highly desired. Mm -hmm. So, is there's any questions or discussion? Uh, I will entertain a motion to uh, adopt this new committee assignments. So moved. We have a motion from Trustee Chandra. Second. Second. Second from Trustee Abbott. Any discussion? Any public comment? Uh, we'll vote. Trustee Jennings. Aye. Uh, Trustee Chandra? Aye. Trustee Abbott? Aye. Trustee Linder? Aye. And uh, Trustee Faulkner? Aye. And I vote aye as well. So the motion carries. And we are now on to 5J. Uh, discussion action on board standing committee meetings. Um, we're just proposing these for, for the next year. That's, we're continuing to meet on the third. Correct. Thursday so the, the month, meeting, okay. these are just your regular board meetings, which are the third Thursday of every month, except for the month of July. And as of right now, uh, obviously, your meeting starts at 8.30. As you well know, uh, police and fire in the last meeting changed their start time to 9 a.m. Doesn't mean that you have to, but I'm just letting you know that. And it also includes committee meetings, correct? Yeah. yeah. And so I had a question about that. Um, 
the committee meetings, we set them a year. We, we try, they, they used to be, so so we try to have quarterly staff meetings. I'm not, I'm not sure about the IC. The IC is not here. The IC is here. It's here. here. Yeah. The JPC is not yeah. here. But they, they're not quarterly. Can you take a look at the, at the IC, they, Prabhu? They are quarterly. They are quarterly. Yeah. But I mean, haven't we changed them to less often these days so that we still need the quarterly. quarterly is less often any less often than that we wouldn't be doing our fiduciary <laughs> all right all right so it's on page two. Oh, it's on page two okay. yeah so it looks like it's monthly but it used to be monthly that we met at the 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 investment committee meeting yeah, but they're not quite a, oh the jpc jpc looks like it's monthly looking at page yeah. two yeah. well they are working on the uh, the search and the yeah. firm and everything else so i think it's going to be monthly for the next few yeah. months i would say it's aspirational at this yes. point we haven't met monthly but there was a period we were meeting monthly but to your so. point i think most committee meetings tend to meet uh, um quarterly and we scattered them like some of them after the police and fire board meeting some of them after the fed meeting uh but if we need to uh what we work through and we need to make any change we can always do that okay that's what yeah i also i'm wondering about the governance committee it seems to me like with the things that are in front of it in terms of um, policies and procedures that mm -hmm. to have one in November and then not another one until March seems like it's not enough. You, so you, you can always call meetings. Okay. That's right. So so again, this is just uh, I, I would view this as at least on at a quarterly basis okay. for the year. So you have a meeting this month, and if for that you know you determine that you have to meet monthly okay. for the next few months, you certainly can do that. This approving this doesn't mean that you cannot meet more often. Okay. Yes. Yeah, I would say there's a pro forma schedule that Thank you. is easily amended. Okay. Yeah. Uh, except, except, except for the board which is why I asked why we why are they all at the same time. But as knowing that we are we're committing, it can always change a board meeting, but we're really committing to the board meetings, but the pro forma for the committee meetings. Okay. Correct. Thank you. And is there a suggestion um, that we might also want to move it to nine instead of eight thirty? Is that what I heard? Uh, if you, if trustees want to discuss that, P and F took that decision. I don't know what the sentiment is here uh, for such a move. I will go with the majority, but the less of my day, uh, my work day, that I'm here, and I usually don't have things starting as early as eight or eight thirty. Mm -hmm. It's better if that half hour is helpful to me. But if people want to avoid traffic or be more in the heart of traffic. I don't know how that exactly works. Yeah, I was going to say traffic has been really terrible, except for the summer, you know, coming into this 8, 8.30, but I can't really complain because I don't drive that far. It's uh, just I'm surprised. <laughs> I don't know that 9.00 would be much more. Um, Maybe not. Well, before, before you take a motion on this, yes. I did want to make one clarification. So the, the proposed backup material does reference that the board meetings will be held by Zoom under AB 361. That's no longer the case. That there's no governor proclamation right. available. So if you do approve the schedule, we'll, we'll, we'll need to take that out. That. Yeah. Thank you, Council. Thank you for that. Okay. All right. So uh, if anyone wants to make a motion to begin meetings at 9, 9 a.m., now is the time to do so. And if not, is there someone who would like to make, make a motion to uh, accept the proposed schedule uh, with the caveat that uh, Council Chin just advised? That will be the time to I do that. I motion. Okay, so, so moved by uh, Trustee Abbott. Is there a second? 
Second. Second from Trustee Linder. Any trustee discussion? Any public comment? We will vote. Uh, Vice Chair Jennings? Aye. Uh, trustee Chandra? Aye. Trustee Abbott? Aye. Trustee Linder? Aye. Trustee Faulkner? Aye. And I vote aye as well. The motion carries. Okay, we're on to committee reports. Investment committee, it looks like we haven't met now for a couple of months. Uh, we, Chair Chandra? Yeah, we'll, we'll be meeting, I think, before the next board meeting. Right. Okay. Uh, audit committee. Um, uh, Trustee Vasti is not here. I don't know if uh, Trustee Jennings or Abbott would like to report any activity there. Well, um, I guess I would report that we're still uh, going over the various findings. Uh, we've spent uh, time going over the various items. Um, I don't think we have conclusions at this point, right? And uh, we're looking at the auditor report that was finalized. And so that's later on um, to approve that. Um, I know that uh, the chair had some concerns on that. I'm not exactly sure where that stood. Um, well, so. Mr. Chair, if I can, so a couple of things. So um, the, the committee did discuss uh, responses by management on the findings of the audit for given a contract oversight. Uh, the committee also uh, accepted and is recommending to the board uh, the uh, ACFR, which is the audit of financial statements uh, for right. the both plans, presented by CSGD at the uh, the last meeting. Um, but in, in terms of that, I do want to uh, kind of bring you up today. Um, the CSGD has completed and signed off on the financial statements. Uh, the financial audit is complete. Uh, it was a clean opinion. Um, but as you are aware, um, there's an investment section on the offer. Baby, I know you're listening, so if I misspeak, jump in and correct me, please. Um, and that section from Nikita has been, so, right now is not on the financial statement, pending Messias uh, Genie further agree upon procedures work on reviewing uh the uh, returns uh over the last uh few years uh, the issue that was uh, actually brought forward to you board by by cio polani um again i want to emphasize and if i misspeak i will correct me uh our understanding based on the review that we have completed is that it's a minimal um, uh difference so about possibly up to 10 basis points but nevertheless the audit committee went ahead and, and agreed to hire Messias Genie and you boys approved the work uh, to do the work to uh, to you know to confirm that is the case or so let us know if there's any difference what the actual amount of difference uh, is there. We're hoping that that work can be completed in the next month or so, so then we can actually add back in the uh, the investment function by investment section by Mikita mm -hmm. uh, with the correct numbers. So we will keep you posted on, on the work by Messias Gini. Uh, but the bottom line is that the financial audit was completed. It was a clean opinion. And the audit the, the audit committee did accept the presentation by Messias Gini at the meeting. Um, there was also discussion uh, of um, contracting with Cortex Consulting to do work that is also uh, being done uh, at the same time 
I'm working with council on the uh, on the policies and procedures and the gaps between our office and, and the city. So Cortex is also uh, part of that work. And I don't know that, did I leave anything else out uh, from the audit, from the committee meeting? Well, they're, they're, they're listed here on the agenda, so we can just go yeah. through them. Okay. I mean, I, I kind of touched yeah. in general the items, so I didn't right. go into specific. Did I explain the uh, the effort correctly, Benji, please? Yes, you did. You didn't, everything was correct. Thank you. Okay. So then, then going through the agenda items, it looks like uh, uh, 6.2C and 6.2D are really discussions of uh, uh, the internal auditor report, but 6.2E, we require action. That's correct. So, so uh, 6.2C and D, um, there was a, uh, the, the management provided their response and then we received a um, a comment from the public thereafter. And so we, we felt the, the committee felt it's appropriate to bring this to for discussion. Um, there's no action that needs to be taken on that, but I, these two um, items were uh, raised and discussed by Barbara. So if Barbara wants to weigh in on what she briefed the committee on, on those two items. I, yes, actually, I don't remember the specifics, but I am going to be adding in some more detail to the responses. Um, based on the feedback. I see. So it's, uh, the work is ongoing. Yeah. Okay. Great. Then just now 6.2e is, uh, I guess, the action is to accept the independent auditor's report on our annual financial report. Right. And the letter is here in the attachments. Is, are there any questions about the uh, MGO external auditor letter? Would anyone like to formulate a proposal to accept this letter? I move to accept the letter. So we have a motion from Trustee Abbott. That I, I hear Trustee Jennings. Any public, any trustee discussion? Any public discussion? We will vote. Uh, Vice Chair Jennings? Aye. Trustee Chandra? Aye. Trustee Abbott? Aye. Trustee Linder? Aye. Trustee Faulkner? Aye. Okay, and I vote aye as well. So 6E is accepted. Now 6F is the ACFR. And based on what you just said, is this is this then not really a final version? We're waiting for the possibility. It is that yes, we will. So I think we should defer action on this and not vote to accept it. I do note, at least on the version I'm looking at that I downloaded the attachment uh, from last week, the board chair letter it has not been updated to my most recent version. So I'm sure you'll have that updated. Benji, do you have any comments on the last two statements by the chair? I have not received the latest board chair letter. I was, I didn't receive it. So I don't, uh, we, I updated it to the latest I had. Um, okay, I will, I will resend it. I think it's something I, I thought I had sent last week. Uh, but I can see looking at it, there's some modest changes. And, and it's okay to delay deferring the uh, act for the next meeting, right? That's correct. Um, yes, that's correct. Hopefully the AUP is completed by then and we can finalize this the act for because we do need it to um, file our GFOA filings. And, and the state report? No, the state controller's report is, um, only needs the audited financial statements, so that's okay. Okay, all right. Okay. Uh, okay, so that's uh, 62F, 62G. 
we also require action on the Cortex uh, uh, work plan. So the Joint Audit Committee had referred out the uh, development of the policy for contracting and procurement to the Governance Committee with direction for Cortex to return with the proposed uh, policy to the Joint Governance Committee by the end of November. And so discussion and action on this would just be to approve uh, what the Joint Audit Committees have already directed Cortex to do. Okay. Do we have to approve a budget? It's not. That was already covered in a, a previous motion that we've done. We, okay. we, we renewed Cortex's agreement um, at the previous meeting. Okay, and that encompasses this work too. Yeah, so okay. the, the work here is really just the direction to um, refer to the governance committee and to have them look at this by the end of November. Okay. Uh, any questions from trustees? Is there a motion then to, uh, to agree with the recommendation? Yeah, I'll, I'll, I, heard, I, I think I heard uh, Trustee Chandra first, and a second Trustee Abbott. And it's really <laughs> got the Jeopardy buzzer. Like, <laughs> got just in time for final Jeopardy. Um, any uh, trustee questions or discussion? Any public comment? Hearing none, we will vote. Uh, Vice Chair Jennings? Aye. Trustee Chandra? Aye. Trustee Abbott? Aye. Trustee Linder? Aye. Trustee Faulkner? Aye. And I vote aye, aye. as well. I'm sorry, was there something further, Trustee Boston? There must be there must be a delay, sorry. <laughs> There's a little bit of delay. Okay. Probably the the Wi-Fi down there at the beachfront is a little uh a little delayed. Delay. Yeah. Uh and I vote aye as well. So uh six two G uh carries. Six three is the governance committee. Oh, Mr. Chair, if, did you receive and file the minutes? I apologize. Um sure. All the minutes up to yes, this point. Yes, thank you. <laughs> I agree. Uh, Governance Committee hasn't met since February 16th, but it looks like you will begin meeting on a more regular basis since there's a lot more work to be done there. Um, yeah, it sounds like our new head attorney's got the workload for us. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, you, you voted voted for her, and uh, no, no, we're excited to work about that. That's okay. great. Okay. Uh, disability committee. Um, we will have some items. Uh, we okay. had three cases that we heard at our November 7th meeting. Oh, three. Uh, we made decisions on two we denied, one we approved. We will see what the denied people what to do. Uh, the approval will be on your December consent. Okay, great. Sounds like a very active. So we're committee. trying to see if we can do another three. We got some that have to come back and so on. So in December. Mm -hmm. Got it. And the staff work has been excellent. Oh, so, good. Uh, as I said, Russ's work has the attorney. Okay. Um, so we accept the minutes on that. Uh, joint personnel, uh, I think Vice Chair Chandra, if you want to comment here. Yeah. Oh, um, so the JPC has been the most active that it's ever been in my tenure. Uh, I, think, I think we covered some of the topics already um, that, that we've been discussing, uh, incentive compensation, also moving the CEO, CIO, and investment staff up in their uh, regular compensation uh, to the uh, 75th percentile. Um, and uh, we have now begun to spend some time thinking about transition planning and uh, planning for a CEO 
when Roberto uh, departs at some point next year. Um, and that uh, we want to get in front of that process because it could take some time. So to that end, there are a couple of items. Uh, there's three items here that require discussion and action. Uh, the first one is uh, we'd like to issue an RFP for an executive search firm. And uh, we have um, uh, nominated an ad hoc committee within the JPC to help us uh, expedite that process. And Trustee Linder will be our representative from the JPC. Um, there's no attachment, um, but if there's any discussion or any questions people have about that, please ask now. So, um, just the just the piggyback on what Trustee Chandra, just the piggyback on what Trustee Chandra said. The motion that the JP, the action that the, the JPC took was that to issue an RFP with an ad hoc to draft an issue in return with recommendation to the JPC on the executive search firm with an initial budget of up to uh, $50,000. Oh, sorry, yes, $50,000. And that would be split between- 25,000 between us. Um, and that's an up to- Yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. So I guess there are two items here, 65B, which is uh, our approval to issue the RFP for the executive search, and then 65C, which is the formation of the ad hoc committee. So we need to approve both yeah. uh, items. Why don't, yeah, so the first one, why don't we, uh, if anyone is willing to entertain a motion on um, uh, a, issuing an RFP with a budget of $50,000 split between police and fire and federated. I so move. I second, I can do that. Yes. Um, and uh, any further trustee discussion? Uh, any public comments? Then we will vote. Uh, Vice Chair Jennings? Aye. Trustee Chandra? Aye. Trustee Abbott? Aye. Trustee Linder? Aye. Trustee Faulkner? Aye. And I vote aye. So an RFP will be issued. And then for the next item, I apologize. I'll have to ask council to help me out. I know one of our ad hoc committee members being nominated is Trustee Linder, who from the police <laughs> So for this item, the JPC had taken action to appoint uh, a two per create a two person ad hoc committee to be designated as the chair of the JPC for the appointment of the members to that ad hoc committee for the purpose of conducting the RFP search and to continue in existence through the executive search. So that's the um, the action that's being recommended to this board for approval. So if there are no questions, do we have a motion to accept uh, that action? So moved. Trustee Linder, second. I'll second. Trustee Abbott, second. Uh, any further discussion? Any public comments? Vice Chair Jennings? Aye. Uh, Trustee Chandra? Aye. Trustee Abbott? Aye. Trustee Linder? Aye. Trustee Faulkner? Aye. And I vote aye as well. So it carries. Um, and now we come to 65D which is uh, quite a bit of red line on yeah. the on the JPC charter. And um, 
you know if uh, Council Chen wants to uh, address herself to this. Sure. Um, so as you know, Measure G added uh, City Charter Provision 810.1, which provides the board's joint authorities with a police and fire over the CEO and CIO position. The charter covers a number of areas relating to the hiring, compensation, um, performance evaluation, discipline, and termination of the CEO. Um, but our board policy only addresses the compensation and performance evaluation uh, aspects provided under the city charter. And so we thought to true up our JPC charter to address the uh, omitted areas, which were specifically related to termination and discipline, mm -hmm. uh, as well as the hiring provisions. And so what I did here is I is to look at the um, the red line changes. The introductory statements here was just to be more uh, wholesome with the uh, prov provided authority under the city charter. And so if you look at, you know, subdivision one, it refers back to the city charters that we have the sole authority and stating that in our charter here. Um, we also specified that the CEO um, may appoint or prescribe the duties, suspension, discharge, promotion, or demotion or discipline of any of the ORS staff, making that clear that that's the function of the CEO. And then also stating that we have rulemaking authority. So those are the changes in the introduction that were approved. Um, also, if you look at page three, we've, I've included a new section here for the hiring of the CEO and CIO per, uh, positions. This was uh, just taken from other areas of the, the policy and put into a new section that's clearly um, noted. So that's just reorganization. You'll note here, though, in subdivision 9D that in circumstances where the boards do not agree on the hiring and selection of the CEO, um, that we will need further uh, discussion with the JPC on how to address that deadlock. So that that's a placeholder for now, but provisions 9A through C have been approved and are being recommended to the board to uh, adopt. Um, similarly, for performance evaluation, there's another tiebreaker provision um, in 10D that's for further discussion. Um, it, but also for compensation here, we have uh, come and the trustee Chandra may come in and speak on this. We, we discussed that at length on how to address uh, situations where the two boards are um, in disagreement on compensation. And so they have come up with a mechanism to resolve that difference. And what it would be is that if and they've taken motion, they've taken action on this as well, and I've integrated it into this current version before you is that if the performance evaluations between the two boards are within one ranking of each other, that the the compensation numbers from the two would be averaged to be our joint recommendation to the council. Um, so that should be reflected in the back materials that were provided to you. Um, and then lastly, we have a provision on discipline and termination. I, there was co conversation about that uh, at the JPC, and so I've incorporated those edits from the JPC in the current version before you, which is for the JPC to recommend to the board for disciplinary or termination of the CEO, and for both items to be conducted in closed session. Yeah, I, I don't have much to add. Thank you for that, Council Chin. I, I would just say that um, the committee felt it made sense to approve as much of these changes uh, post-haste, uh, understanding that we still have to come up with some of the deadlock procedures, but certainly on the compensation issue, that's quite timely. So um, that's why we're doing it in this manner. Exactly. Um, any trustee questions about these changes to the JPC charter? 
You know, these, these weren't in place when we hired the CIO, so I don't know if we went outside our authority. No, they weren't. They were. They were just in the other section. So I created a new section for hiring, just moved it up. I believe the JPC did approve recommending this to this board. That is yeah. correct. We did. So our, our, our task here today is either to adopt the recommendations or to reject them. Um, so to be clear, under 7I, it's either 7D, it's either one or two. So if we adopt then seven on page four, 7D1 is adopted and 7D2 is there, is rejected. Are, are you, are you looking at what, what topic are you on? This is compensation. Oh, okay. So that's, it's kind of one or the section other. Section 11. Um, yeah. which, section 11. Which one you Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah. It was it seven, now it's 11. 11D1. 11D2, they are mutually exclusive? No, so if so, if you look here, 71 is if the, this is what the JPC had um, recommended. Or not within, okay. So with, when they are within um, the final, when the final performance valuations from the two boards are within a rating level of one another, then the compensation recommendations from the two boards shall be combined and then average to become the final total compensation recommendations to provide to city council. If the final compensation um, evaluations are not within the uh, rating of the one rating of one another, that's still something that the JPC would yeah, so like. You still need that, yeah. Right. So that's why it's highlighted in yellow. All right. So I want to entertain a motion to adopt all of the recommended changes as presented. I still motion. We have a motion from uh, Vice Chair Jennings. Is there a second? Second. A second from Trustee Linder. Is there any trustee discussion? Any public discussion? Hearing none, you vote. Uh, Vice Chair Jennings? Aye. Trustee Chandra? Aye. Trustee Habit? Aye. Trustee Linder? Aye. Trustee Faulkner? Aye. And I vote aye as well. The changes are adopted. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, and still much work to go. Yes. Um, item seven, we all have the uh, Cortex report, the Calipers uh, program calendar. Oh, I think you skipped over uh, 6.5E. Oh. oh, yeah. Discussion on incentive compensation program for ORS uh, staff. Um, I guess at the JPC, we didn't really advance the discussion on that further, other than it's still an, a topic of discussion, and uh, we haven't yet formulated a fully been uh, program to recommend. That's correct. I mean, we got some feedback from the city yes. and, and specifically from the two liaisons to the two boards. And um, with the balance of things that are on our plate and also some of the issues we have to resolve with the city, we thought it made sense to move this to a Q1 item, Q1 2024. Right. Okay. So work, work ongoing, discussion ongoing. Um, education and training. Obviously, you can see the various... Uh, educational opportunities uh, before us. Any proposed agenda items for our next session? And hearing none, we are in adjournment. Just one quick thing. Um, if anybody wants to go to the luncheon that the Employees Association were having the three flames, mm -hmm. three flames, December 6th, mm -hmm. 11 o'clock, social 12 o'clock lunch. And you would like me to pass on to people what you would like to have. <laughs> it saves one step. I'm happy to do that for you. 
I understand you may not be there, but it is there happening. And uh, they won't. Uh, Trustee Lender, I am putting together a list for Joan. Oh, so if anybody wants to attend, I can get your information. Yeah, can we send the email out that we send your staff to okay. the trustees okay. so they can? Okay. Thank the, you. The letter invitation advised informing yet another person. Yeah, so she's going to be informed. Okay. So, so Cynthia. Um, Mark, I can just tell you at this point, I can't. I have a um, meeting, uh, capital budget meeting at two with Council District 5. So, so I can ask them to give me your lunch? <laughs> yes, you can have my lunch. <laughs> you order the steak, right, Julie? Yes, whatever okay. you want, Roberto. <laughs> yeah. Recording stopped. I've been doing my